If you would first turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. The Apostle Paul here writing to believers as to how the preaching of the Word of God is called the Word of Faith brings salvation to the lost. In verse 8, Paul says, The Word, referring to God's Word, is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the Word of Faith which we preach. That's what God's servants do. They preach the Word of God. We don't preach our opinions, what we think. We endeavor to preach what God says in His Word. Then in verse 9, Paul gives us a quick summary as to what the Word of God is all about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about God raising Him from the dead. So that means that Jesus Christ died and that God raised Him from the dead and He did so for a reason. What was the reason? Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So we see that salvation comes by confessing with your mouth and salvation comes by believing in your heart that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And if you believe that and you understand why, thou shalt be saved. And if you don't, you won't. Now, how does confessing and believing these things save a sinner, you might ask? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. In verse 10, he says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we see that salvation has everything to do with righteousness. No man, no woman, no sinner will ever be saved apart from possessing righteousness. And we know, according to the Scriptures, that it must be perfect righteousness because we know that on, the only righteousness that God will accept will, must be perfect righteousness. For whosoever offered a sacrifice of peace unto the Lord, it shall be perfect to be accepted. Leviticus 22.21 Verse 11, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him, that being Jesus Christ, shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now God doesn't save different sinners different ways. There's no difference between one sinner and another. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord... Jew or Gentile shall be saved. Now, what is it to call upon the name of the Lord? We've talked about that some. His name reveals who He is. His name reveals what He has done. And His name reveals why He did what He did. 
Jesus Christ is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. It's Christ who provides us with the perfect righteousness that God requires. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Christ is the Lord that heals us of our leprous sin. No one else can. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Christ is our token. He's our flag. He, he is our emblem of perfection. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace that passes all understanding. Jehovah Raha, the Lord my shepherd. Why, He's the good shepherd that watched over His sheep. Jehovah Tits to Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteousness. And our righteousness in and of ourselves is imperfect. It's filthy rags. We're righteous in Him. He is our righteousness. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. He is our salvation that will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. So to call upon Christ's name is to believe that He has made unto us all these things. And what all the things that His name represents. And then in verse 14, Paul asks this question. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And here Paul insists on the necessity of preaching the gospel to sinners because none can be saved who do not call upon Christ. And none who call upon the name of Christ who do not believe that He is able and willing to save can be saved. And none can believe that He's able and willing to save if they've not heard of His grace, His death, and His resurrection. And none can hear these glad tidings unless these things are preached to them. Verse 15, And how shall they preach? Except they be sent. As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The ambassadors, preachers of Christ who preach the good news of the gospel are sent by the Lord. And I suppose the greatest blessing that God can give a people other than Christ Himself is a faithful preacher, a servant of Christ and His Gospel, and all whom God sends will preach the name of Christ. If they don't, then God didn't send them. You want to know if God sent a preacher? You listen to a preacher and you want to know if God sent him? Is he preaching the name of Christ? And then we come to verse 16, which I suppose is my text. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Now, have you noticed here that Paul did not say but they have not all believed the gospel, though that's true. But he said, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. You see, to obey the gospel is to believe the gospel, and to believe the gospel is to obey the gospel, yet not all have obeyed or believed. 
And this is the one, one of the most plain proofs of man's depravity. If God, now listen, if God has devised a way to save sinners, a way which He can be just and yet justify the ungodly, and He has, and that's through Christ alone, you would suppose that the moment that any sinner heard this good news, they would immediately bow, believe, obey, and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who could save. But they have not all obeyed. They have not all believed and called upon Christ. You see, we have offended God. I know men today preach that men are born basically good and, and then they make decisions along the way, bad choices, good choices, whatever. But we've all offended God. We are all in a state of condemnation. We're born condemned. Wouldn't you think that the very moment that the God of all grace mentions the possibility of forgiveness that the condemned sinner who has offended God would have sought forgiveness at His hand immediately. Oh, there's a way for me to be saved, the wretch that I am? Tell me how. But they have not all obeyed the Gospel. Mankind has made the Gospel something that man can accept or reject, making it no more than an offer. Men and women have made the gospel to be something that can be accepted or rejected without any real consequence. The majority of people today simply believe that if a sinner just does the best they can do, I cannot tell you how many times I've had men and women both tell me just that. Well, you know, I believe, I don't know what you believe, but, but I believe that if men and women just do the best they can, treat people like... You, you want to be treated. That God will, God will usher them right into the pearly gates of heaven into their mansions of glory. No, sir. No, sir. If you accept the terms, you reap the benefits. If you reject them, no big deal. Just work hard. Exercise your free will. And God will provide another way. But the Gospel is not an offer. It's a command. Salvation is not something that God has made possible. The Gospel comes to men and women with the force of a command. Not all will be saved for they have not all obeyed the Gospel. Now you can't speak of obeying anything which has not the authority of a command. The Gospel comes to sinners as a command. Now time wouldn't permit me to show you the large number of scriptures that prove that, but allow me just to give you one. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, In the times of this ignorance, this blindness, God winked at. You know, there was a time when men and women, Gentiles they're called, worshiped idols of gold and silver and stone, and they made these idols their God. And this, this angered God, and it displeased Him. Why? In the Ten Commandments. One is, Thou shalt not worship other gods. Don't set up any graven image and make a god out of it. 
And God overlooked them and He took no notice of these. He gave no revelation to direct them. He gave them no prophets to instruct them. But now, the Scripture says, God commandeth all men. Did you hear that? God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So this command is not an option to accept or reject. It's a command to be obeyed. For it was God who commanded it. And you cannot reject it without incurring the guilt of disobedience to a divine command. Now, are you following me? Well, or better, do you believe me? And then no, do you believe God? This is His Word, it's not mine. If you reject Christ and His Gospel, you're being disobedient to God Himself. Just like those to whom He said, all day long I've stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Romans 10.21 And our Lord, speaking of the Holy Spirit, said this. He said, He will reprove. He will convince the world of sin. And then almost immediately, the Lord added, of sin. He's going to convince the world of sin because they believe not on Me. Now what makes man's sin so evil and the crown of his disobedience is this, that men believe not, obey not the command of God. They believe not on Christ. And the command to men to believe the Gospel has the death penalty attached to their disobedience. He that believeth not is condemned already. You're not going to be condemned if you reject it. You're already condemned. You're born condemned. You're born in trespasses and sin. You're dead in trespasses and sin. Because you're condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is why men and women are condemned. That light, light, God's light, the Lord Jesus Christ, the light and life of men, is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They don't become evil when they reject it. They're already evil. That's why they reject it. And in the Lord's Great Commission, you remember what He said? He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Condemned. So we see that the gospel is given to us as a command. And disobedience to it involves a dreadful penalty. Now the problem is, most people don't really believe that. That's right. If they did, they would be on their knees asking God to forgive them. The gospel is a command, but it encourages poor sinful seekers to come. You see, a, a, a repentant sinner, one who is truly sorry over their sin, they might ask, may we come that we might be saved? May we really believe in and on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? And the answer is yes. 
Yes. You may certainly do what you're commanded to do. You think about that. I'm commanded to keep the Sabbath holy. Then am I permitted to do so? Well, of course I am. I can't do it, but I am permitted to do so. I'm commanded to worship God. I'm certainly permitted to worship Him if I'm commanded to do it. God doesn't command us to do something that we can't do. Well, He does. Christ does it for us. And if, if, I, if I'm a sinner and I'm commanded to put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I may be assured that I may believe in and on Christ because God has commanded me to do so. Are you following my, my, my thinking here or, or what the Word says? The, the command, the command, hear ye deaf and see ye blind, is why the deaf hear and the blind see. Because God has commanded them to do it, and with the command comes the power to obey. Believe and thou shalt live. Well, this this isn't not the voice of a man inviting another man to do something. This is the command of God to a sinner. Believe and thou shalt believe and thou shalt live. Believe and thou shalt live. You know, preachers and churches today at the end of their services, give what they call an invitational. Some call it an altar call. They invite people to come to Christ by coming to the front of the church. They ask them to repeat a sinner's prayer, to confess their sin, and zip, zam, zoom, uh, that sinner is saved. It reminds me of the old Mr. Clean commercials where he rides on the horse and here's a dirty man you know, in filthy clothes, and he zaps them with that whatever it was, and they're white as snow. Well, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Word of God is such a thing practiced, encouraged, or taught. And I challenge you to show me where it is. This nonsense began in the 1800s with a man by the name of Charles Finney. He was a Presbyterian leader in the second Great Awakening, as it's called. And Finney told people they wanted to receive Christ to come forward. Come on down, like on the Price is Right. And they actually had what they called exorbers. They were people in the congregation that would stand up and point to someone and say, I see the God working on you. You need to go forward and give your heart to Jesus. And this started that whole mess. Billy Graham. Now I know this this is dangerous. I mean, this is ground that offends people and makes them mad. Uh, I had my mother chase me out of the house one time for saying something negative about Billy Graham. But Billy Graham had church workers in the crowd who would get up from their seats and go down front making it easier and encouraging others to do the same thing. You won't find it in the Bible. Our Lord and His apostles simply preached. And the Holy Spirit convicted sinners by their preaching. And they asked, what must I do to be saved? And the command was always the same. Believe! Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They weren't invited to believe. They were commanded to believe. 
They were not invited to move from where they were standing to where the one preaching was standing. They were commanded to obey and believe the Gospel of Christ and Him crucified. Now the word invite, you know what it means. It means to ask or bid someone's company or presence to make a polite, formal, friendly request to come. And the word command is an authoritative order. It's to require, to bid, to instruct to come. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. You can let your place go in Romans 10. Turn with me Matthew chapter 11 and look at verse 28. You, you know this passage. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Here our Lord is speaking and He says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Now I, I ask you, does that sound like an invitation to you? <laughs> Come is a command. Take is a command. You know, when my father told me to come, it wasn't an invitation for me to do so. I found that out on more than one occasion. When my mother told me, hey, David Lee, take your dirty shoes off, she wasn't inviting me to do so. Is the Lord inviting all to come to Him? Now, I want you to think with me for a little bit here. If that's so, then coming to Christ is the work of man who chooses to come and salvation is an invitation that can be accepted or rejected. But that's not the case at all. Come or you're going to die. Take or you'll never rest. The Lord had just prayed to His Father in verses 25 and 26. And look what He said. He said, I thank Thee, O Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in Thy sight. Now, is it even remotely possible that the Lord would thank God for hiding the truth from some and revealing it to others, that he might then just turn around and beg every man and woman to come to him. Well, that doesn't even make good sense. And after concluding his prayer to his father, the Lord goes on to say in verse 27, All things are delivered unto me of my father, and no man knoweth the son but the father, and neither knoweth any man the father save or except the son and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So the Lord makes it abundantly clear that it's God's will to hide spiritual truths from the wise and the prudent and reveal the same truths to babes. Would the Lord who carries out the will of the Father then turn around and tell everyone to whom he preaches that he and his Father desire and invite everyone to come to him and be saved. How absurd and how ridiculous. Verse 28 tells us who the Lord is speaking to. He says, 
Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden with sin, burdened with sin. And I'll give you rest. The gospel's for sinners. <laughs> That's who Christ came to seek and to save. He came in the world to save sinners. He came to save those who labor and are heavy laden, burdened with sin. And this is a call, this is a command to every sin-cursed sinner, whether Jew or Gentile. A command has a consequence from the one who commands it. And in this case, it's God. Amen. An invitation simply requests you to do something, but disobeying a command from God has great, great consequence. And ignoring an invitation doesn't. You know, I've been invited to many things in my life. And some I was able to attend and some I wasn't. But I was never punished or condemned for not keeping an invitation. But I was chastised and punished many times for not heeding the command of my parents or my school teacher or whoever was in charge. And you know, friends, what makes this way of thinking and believing so dangerous is this. If our salvation is based upon you and me accepting the invitation, then it is naturally thought by us and believed by us that the acceptance of that invitation is the cause, the result, and the reason for us being saved. It's claiming that God made salvation possible for all, for everyone, but only those who accept his invitation to be saved. I've never been to a funeral of an unbelieving lost man or woman that has not been made to be saved. I'm not just making that up. Because most of them at one time went to church and most of them at one time made a decision and accepted God's invitation. And at one time, they all exercised their will and accepted the invitation to be baptized and then they were invited to become a member of that church. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but the gospel is a command. And if it's a command, and it is, and if that command is obeyed and believed, then God saves them. But if they don't, if they don't obey, if they don't believe, well, the consequence is dreadful. The gospel comes to chosen sinners that they might be pure. You and I have no right to be impure. That's not how God made man. The gospel comes to chosen sinners that they might have their sin put away. You and I have no right to have any sin. God did not create us with sin. He didn't create Adam in sin. Sin was man's choice and it was committed against God willfully and wickedly. Adam had a free will. You and I lost our free will in Adam. And Adam chose to sin. We have no right to sin against our holy Creator. The Gospel comes to the elect sinner that they may be reconciled to God. We should have never been God's enemy. The gospel truly brings the gifts of God's grace that should have been ours if we had not sinned against the righteous God and broken His holy law. 
And we're commanded to believe this gospel. If we trust in Christ, we will be saved. Are you trusting in Christ? And if we do not bow, if we do not obey and believe, we'll remain damned and condemned. Are we to ask God to make another way of salvation that suits our fancy? Saving us apart from faith in His Son? That's what most people think. When God requires us to do what we cannot do apart from His divine intervention and giving us life, we're commanded and obeyed to trust in the One who did it for us. So if we say that we can't trust Christ, we make God a liar. And our condemnation is no one's fault but our own. And it's the most awful thing for a sinner to say, I cannot believe God. Well, who can you believe if you can't believe God? If you say you can't believe in me, well, I might be hurt by your lack of confidence in me, but at the same time, I'm very aware that I'm incapable and very capable of failing you, but not God. But not God who cannot lie. No, sir. It's God's right to be believed. It's God's right to be obeyed. It's God's right to be trusted. I often think about that prodigal son. You know why? Because he's a picture of me and every believer. Some say, how could one so blessed leave his father and spend all he had with righteous living? I've asked myself that question because that's me. How could I do that? There's nothing said in that parable of the prodigal son concerning uh, or talking about the Spirit of God leading him to resolve to go back to his father. Uh, it seems to many that he came back home on his own accord. But the passage says that when he came to himself, you remember that? Who but the Holy Spirit brought to his mind how the hard servants in his father's house fared better than he. That was the Holy Spirit that put that into his mind and in his heart. We don't come to our senses by ourselves. Somebody says, well, I finally came to my senses. A dead man can't do that. A dead woman can't do that. Not until the Holy Spirit gives them light and life. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings us to ourselves. The truth of the, is the prodigal son should have never gone away. Should have never left his loving father. It was the prodigal's duty to come back home. There was never a moment from the time he left, taking his journey into a far country, there was never a second while he wasted his substance on riotous living that he was not wrong in doing so. There was never a minute while he was feeding the swine and then eating upon the swine's husk that he was not wrong in being there had he acted rightly. But that's our problem. We can't. Our sinful hearts won't allow us to act rightly. I wish I'd have thought that years ago when my mother told me I needed to straighten up and fly right. I would have told her, I can't. The Bible says I can't. But I wasn't that smart. But I think the Lord has taught me some things. 
Christ did for me what I can't do for myself. That's what makes the gospel so glorious. The gospel demands our obedience to it because it has the authority of God behind it. Like Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness, we lift up Christ and we cry to our hearers, look and live. That's what I'm endeavoring to do right now. I'm endeavoring to encourage you to look to Jesus Christ and live. We're not just uttering our own words here. These are the words of God. To reject my word would just be a small matter. But to reject God's command, is, it's a death sentence. And when God Himself sets forth Christ as the only propitiation for sin, you'll, will you turn your back and reject so great a salvation? If a sinner is to live, the Gospel demands obedience because it carries the authority of God with it. The wondrous love of God is displayed in the Gospel and the love which made Him to give up His only begotten Son to bleed and to die. Why, this is the uh, wondrous love which allowed our Lord Jesus to be nailed to the cross by His own voluntary act that He might suffer in our room instead. Oh, what amazing love that proclaims complete amnesty and pardon for those who obey His Word. Oh, what amazing love that says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Oh, what amazing love that says, So let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And He'll have mercy upon Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. There are some who are absolutely resolved to have something to do with their salvation. You can't come to Christ on the terms and merits of your own will and work. You can't do it. When God says to come to Him, He'll give you the will and the power to become His son or daughter. All who come to Christ on their own merits will in the end expect the glory and the credit for their coming. So in closing, I remind you again of Paul's statement that we read in the beginning, Romans chapter 10. They have not all obeyed the Gospel. What must we do to obey the Gospel? Well, first we've got to hear it. We've got to hear it. Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. But we must take heed as to how we hear as well. There must be in our listening a deep and earnest desire to know the truth. Many today have ingested what some call a sugared gospel, which is nothing but sweet poison. The Gospel of God tears and it cuts and it wounds and it even kills before it makes alive. Christ died for sinners. He stood as the substitute for all who trust in Him. God punished Christ instead of me. And therefore, being a just God, He cannot punish me. That would be punishing the same offense twice, which a righteous and just God cannot do.
When a husband and wife take each other in holy matrimony, they take each other for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, or for life or for death. But our union with Christ goes much further than that. Death cannot break that union. Do you see what the Gospel commands? More importantly, will you obey the command? You may say, well, I'm not fit to come to Christ. All the fitness that God requires is that you feel your need of Him. Do you feel your need of Him? Then come. Strength and personal fitness, is a, it's a hindrance. It's your weakness that is required, not your strength. You may say, well, I have nothing good about me. Well, your goodness doesn't, does nothing but stand in your way. Isn't that right? It's your sin that Christ died to put away. So it's without any goodness, without any fitness, and it's our unholiness and vileness that commands us to come. So if you're laboring and are heavy laden, burdened over your sin, come to Christ and He will give you rest. If you're heavy laden with sin, He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. His yoke is easy. His burden's light. Will you believe? You're commanded to. You're commanded to. You're commanded to come to God without moving a muscle. Come to Him where you are and come to Him just as you are. May God be pleased to make it so for our good, His glory, and for Christ's sake. Okay, Michelle, if you come.